Well, today we're talking to my good friend, Phil Ranta, who is the COO of a augmented reality startup called Wormhole Labs. But before he went into space, uh, he's been around a while in the digital creative world. And we're excited to have you here to talk about all this, Bill. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is a real delight. <laughs> well, um, first of all, it's early here and earlier where Phil is in Los Angeles, <laughs> um, dedicated during the um, pandemic, 7 a.m. on a Saturday. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I've been up for a few hours. I'm blessed enough to have two babies that wake me up. So I've got alarm clocks that keep me going. So, well, I was wondering why you picked 7 a.m., but now I know you're filling that time. <laughs> this is the middle of the day for me. So I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So, um, before we get into the wormhole, which is totally fascinating for me, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about. Um, what you did recently at Facebook with Facebook Gaming, because that's amazing. Yeah, so I was uh, the head of Gaming Creators North America at Facebook Gaming um, for a little over a year before I joined Wormhole. Uh, my focus there was to find programs for the 750 million gaming enthusiasts that access uh, a Facebook platform every month. Um, one of our big areas of focus was game streaming, uh, where I helped set up the Celebrity Streamers program that brought on the likes of Ronda Rousey and Disguised Toast and Corinna Kopf, um, and then also scaled the program. Uh, we about quadrupled in size while I was there. Um, and since I left, it's, I believe, tripled in size again uh, wow. during the pandemic because a lot of people are watching live gaming streams. So right. um, that was a really fun ride. A lot of hands-on work with streaming creators uh, and building a program from the ground up within an ecosystem like Facebook is a real trip. Lots of stories there. Oh, I bet. I bet. And you're saving those for your book. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Absolutely. But before that, talk about, let's, let's go back to way back in your comedy programming life of super deluxe. Oh yeah, that was, yeah. So I've been in the digital content world about 15 years, which to some makes me a bit of a dinosaur in the social <laughs> video space. Like right when MySpace video started growing, which was kind of the first social, splashy social video virality thing, that's when All I right. joined the market. Um, and at that time I had shot a pilot called Party Animals uh, right after season one of Reno 911, semi-scripted was super hot, right? Right, we right. Had a bunch of funny improv comedians together, put them <clears> in a contact, <throat> shoot a bunch. Mini DV was cheap. And uh, then you could edit, 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 and then make really funny stuff. Right. So I shot a pilot uh, called Party Animals, which was about incoming freshmen who were documenting themselves coming to college as kind of the big men on campus. And then, of course, they're freshmen, so they get a hard dose of reality. Um, it was really funny. I went back and watched it recently and I was like, wow, we were really onto something. Tim <laughs> Robinson was actually in it, who oh, then wow, later right. did a stint on Saturday Night Live and he now has his own um, Netflix comedy show. So we, he was 24 when we shot it. We were really onto something. <laughs> uh, and it sold to superdeluxe.com, which at the time was Turner's uh, kind of incubator. So if something wasn't quite ready for Adult Swim or, CBS, or TBS, they would uh, put it on the internet uh, on superdeluxe.com, hope it goes super viral, and then hopefully upstream it. So we did six episodes there, and then unfortunately, Super Deluxe shut down, rolled into Adult Swim. Uh, mm. But it was great because it really kicked off my career in digital that I'm now in today. Right, right. So let's move forward from there for the time you were at full screen. Can you talk about um, how how that was going and what were the trends at that time and how um, things changed? Yeah, so really interesting time. So I, it's hard to tell that story without telling the story right before it. Okay. In the 2008 crash, digital companies were all seen as very risky. There wasn't a lot of monetization options out there. And the industry kind of went away for a couple of years. I don't know if you remember that, but like every startup just tanked. And I was at a company called VivaVision um, that was doing uh, content for mobile phones. Uh, I was running the production division over there. Uh, that company went away because the iPhone came out and apps became free. So I kind of found myself in this market where I had all these skills in digital and I had absolutely nothing to do with them. So luckily I was a comedian uh, by night at that time. So I started going to do comedy on cruise ships. 
So I spent two years doing that, uh, touring with the Second City Troop on Norwegian cruise lines, uh, which was great. It was a cool fallback career, but my heart was really in digital. I'm one of the few people that became a comedian as a fallback. Usually you have a fallback from being a comedian. Um, But after a couple of years on the boats, the digital market was starting to come back. And I saw what Machinima was doing. Uh, They were kind of the first, what they call multi-channel network, where they worked with a lot of YouTube creators to grow their presence and monetize their channel and kind of build a network around themselves. And through that collective bargaining, they can sell big branded campaigns and everybody wins. Uh, A lot of other people were taking notice too. And two companies sprang up called Maker Studios and Fullscreen, which were kind of like the two followers, first followers of Machinima. Uh, so I, I thought that was a really interesting market. I really liked what Machinima was doing. Uh, to be honest, I applied at Machinima Maker and Full Screen <laughs> at that time because I'm like, this this is a genius idea, and right. I love independent creators and democratized media. Um, Full Screen was the first one to call me up. I went into a tiny one room office on the Hayden Track here in Los Angeles. Uh, met with the CEO and COO. Told them a little bit about my background, and they said. Well, we're looking for two sides of the business. We're looking for someone to run the brand side. We're looking for someone to run the creator side. Sounds like you have experience in both. Which one would you want? (laughs) And I said, well, I think I'd like to run the creator side. And then I joined and we became the number one network in the world seven months later and sold to a joint venture between Chernin and AT&T three years later. So it was a very fast grower and kind of defined the, the next evolution of my career, which is more business side, talent-oriented, democratized media, monetization stuff. Right, right. Yeah, that's, um, we have a, a YouTube channel and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the amount of people since, you know, since that, that have the MCNs that want you yeah. to join and, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's still out there. I mean, people are still, yeah. you know, part of these networks because of that collective sharing, if you will, to help elevate everybody. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's still, the the idea of it still works. It kind of died out a little bit because there was a lot of bad practicers in the market, mm-hmm. um, like people doing 50-50 splits on AdSense, and right. then they would never call you again, and they'd roll up tens of thousands of channels, and like, it, it really hurt the market. But I'm on, I'm sitting on the board and advisory for one of the biggest MCNs in the Middle East called Elfon Network, uh-huh. um, and they're doing it the right way. And I feel like there's a fair amount of people out there doing it the right okay. way, where it's like, it feels more like a scaled management company where you're doing a, a layer of almost like 360 management, but not quite. Where you are actually like producing projects with people and sending them reports on how to grow every week and, you know, giving them ongoing brand deals and tool sets. The oh, people nice. who are still doing that are doing great. The right. networks that weren't doing that just kind mm-hmm. of went away. Yeah, they, they sold you uh, up the, the a big bag of dreams and right. bring you anything, right? Yeah, yeah, because being in a network unto itself doesn't get you anything, right? right. You need to you need to be getting attention once you're, it's kind of like signing with CAA. I have a fair amount of friends of mine in the entertainment industry that's like, if I could just get an agent at UTA or WME or CAA, my career is going to skyrocket. It's like, no, if you're on the bottom of someone's roster, you can maybe expect a phone call every month <laughs> where they say, hey, I'm still rooting for you. And then that's okay. that's it. That's what you get for your 10%. And then they're hoping you go and book yourself or go blow up. Um, the goal is to be on the top of somebody's roster right. at wherever you, so maybe a smaller agent where you can be top of roster rather than a bigger agent where you're at the bottom. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's, ama- that's great advice, right? And I think some people miss out on that where's the best place for me based yeah. on what I have to offer to the people that are looking for something that I have to offer. Right. Yeah. It's still yeah. a relationship game. You need to get just because you get an agent or get a manager. doesn't mean they love you. <laughs> like if they love you and they want to push you, then you'll start getting the opportunities. But if you're just like, right. well, this person's on season two of a TV show, maybe they'll get a season three. So I'll sign them and then hope for the season three, but not do anything. And I'll get my 10% of that. <laughs> There's a lot of managers and agents that are thinking that way. And you want to avoid those people. And you know a lot about that because you also spent some time at a place called Studio 71. Oh, yeah. So Studio 71 was also uh, a multi-channel network model, kind of like full screen, but also came from a management background. They were previously the collective. Um, So they were more of kind of like top tier talent, hands-on management. They did some 360 management. 
Um, and we were big into developing our own projects. So we did movies, we did TV shows, we did premium content shows. As the chief operating officer over there, I heavily uh, oversaw the the network side. So the, the MCN side of it, network ops, so claiming and all of that. Pretty much anything that was kind of more digital nerdy, that was my lane. Yeah. And the stuff that was a little bit more like Hollywood sales, that was Reza and Dan, who were the CEO and CEO or and president's lane. Um, so yeah, it was three years there, scaled the network from about 1 billion monthly views to about 7.5 billion monthly views, um, and did a lot of really amazing projects while I was there. I'm very grateful for that experience. So tell me, because, um, you did, there were, there was talent there too. Yeah. What were some of the criteria that, you know, you looked for, or that, you know, people would look for in finding, um, who were going to you know, back and bring into our fold. Yeah. So, so I'm a very process oriented person. So I need things to be in kind of web flow charts in my brain. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm actually not a very creative person. And I realize that more and more as I get older, what I'm really good at is kind of breaking things down into almost like math formulas. Like when I did comedy, every joke to me was a formula. Like here is the setup. Here's all the preconceived notions on something for that setup. And here's uh, potential twists on each one. Now, which one gets you from A to D better? Like that's how my brain works with comedy. So I don't think of myself as a creative person. So when I signed people, it was one of three things. So either they had so much scale that I think we could develop that scale and sell it in interesting ways and package that scale. So if you're like a kid's channel who it's hard to monetize, it's hard to put brands into because they're a kid's channel, but I can like see this TV show they can sell, or we can like do licensing deals with Netflix or Hulu to help corner that market. Um, If I saw that kind of vision, Mm -hmm. then I would sign them. Um, Or if I saw an incredible amount of true talent, so they were somebody who like, they only have 20,000 subscribers, but they're, they're really onto something. And the premise is so good. It sings on the page and I can put it in front of brands and say, start partnering with them now because they're going to start growing or look at what premium content they can have that we can run as pre-roll and then we can sell it in that way. That was really interesting to me. Or number three is if it's somebody who their individual brand is so strong um, that I think that even though they might not have the most scale in the world and they might not have say the most true talent in the world, like I can't get them acting in something, maybe they're a vlogger or a personality. That's when you can kind of bring them in and say like, okay, you, you've got a spark. How can we find different ways to incorporate that spark into different lanes? Okay. So it was one of those three things. Most of what the MCNs wanted was scale because that's how they made the, a lot of their money was from AdSense. That didn't interest me as much as the other two. Right, right. So um, how would you go about hearing about people that were, you know, maybe at the 20,000 subs level to then move them up? And- yeah, especially at that time, Reddit was huge for me. I oh. lived on Reddit. Um, so if something was kind of going viral or being really buzzy, I would look back to who the creator was. Like, I'll give you one example. At Studio 71, this wasn't my sign. Uh, somebody else signed, John Carl, who's now at Brandon Entertainment Network, genius in the space. Find him on LinkedIn. Um, but John Carl started working with this guy named Mike Diva, um, who, an amazing, just like modern day filmmaker. Like, it's almost like gifts in motion. Nobody is more of a director that like feels like the internet than Mike Diva. Okay. Um, didn't have incredible scale at that time but really, really impressive creative mind. Now he's like done commercials for everything from LA Metro to, cause he just like, he's a viral machine because his style is so like computer forward and crazy. And um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I forgot where that question began, but- uh, Where do you find people that are- Yes. Below the radar, if you will. But but I believe where John Carl found him, maybe it was before this, but I remember the first time he was on my radar is on Reddit. He uh, did this like Donald Trump video where it was like a Japanese, you'll have to look it up. Look up like Mike Diva, Japanese Donald Trump, I think would be the search term. (laughs) And it's like this kawaii style Donald Trump campaign ad all in Japanese that's done like almost like anime live action. Uh Uh, Very kind of critical of him, but in kind of like a 
fun kawaii weird way okay. like, you know, it's hard it's I'll hard to explain it. he's right. so visually like he's just the most creative person i've ever seen and when i saw that i was like oh my gosh this guy is the future of filmmaking it's kind of like watching a michael bay music video on mtv in the 80s where okay. you're like this person has a style and i don't know what this does yet um but or david fincher who also did music videos in the 80s on on mtv like uh -huh. they've got something where you know in 10 or 20 years they're gonna be like defining what cinema and tv looks like for us right right amazing yeah that's that's um that's good to know the little uh, places to make sure you blow up right oh yeah oh yeah right. like going it's it's not just going viral right it's just getting eyeballs on it. it's no different than the film festivals that i kind of came up with when i was in film school right it's like back then early 2000s of course but back then it's you didn't have the internet content yet so you literally took your movie and you shopped it festival to festival just trying right. to get eyeballs on it right. you're doing the same thing on the internet you make a great piece of content and you're trying to place it in front of people to get eyeballs on it and hopefully you get the right eyeballs eventually right well we did a um an interview with uh, one of the actors in lovecraft country cool. you know if you watch that on hbo you bet and and she was um, she was talking in a native Indian dialect. And so what she did provide to us was the, the actual, you know, the script and, and the translation, because you didn't see really the translation, you know, right. whenever she was saying that. So um, we shared it because there was, you know, there's a lot of conversation about this show on Reddit and we yeah. shared it on Reddit. And that was the biggest amount of traffic to my website wow for anything and That's i'm great. telling you we've had this website or uh, entertainment news for 11 years wow and only one other post went that crazy i mean and it was weeks weeks wow. and weeks and weeks of traffic yeah when so you catch on reddit reddit really is the front page of the internet in a way that <laughs> right. like a lot of people say well facebook's kind of the front page of the internet look how many people access it but like for true internet junkies who are looking right. for the voice of the internet it right. really lives on Reddit still. That's my first read every morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, I, if I had as much time to spend on Reddit, because I go there and I go down a rabbit hole, I just yeah. end up there for, <laughs> I'm like, ah, I have to pull myself out. Right. <laughs> that's the fun of Reddit. Like I, I try to keep my media consumption diet low because I, like I live the internet. The internet is my life. It's my career. It's my fun right. time. Like I'm spending all day, every day on the internet and I'm not just doom scrolling. I'm like right. constantly absorbing. I'm a little hyperactive as a person. So it's good for me to have that kind of outlet. So mm -hmm. I have to like go on Reddit in the morning, read my tube filter in the morning, like read TechCrunch in the morning, keep that to a half hour total and then right. put it to side and, and ignore it. And then of course, check Twitter, Twitter trends throughout the day because you have right. to know what's going on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's you, you're a hundred percent on that. And I think everyone should have some kind of rituals where they're keeping up with the important topics that relate yeah. to, you know, where you are in your career. Right. <clears throat> Excuse right. me. Yeah. Media consumption diets are something that I'm obsessed with because a lot of people are doing it wrong right now and they're not extracting joy from the internet. Whereas mm -hmm. if you say, well, how do I extract joy from the internet? How do I give myself the right amount? Understanding that the internet is designed to be addicting. It's designed to keep you hooked, right. but eventually you stop getting that joy, right? You have to, right. even somebody who lives the internet, I have to say, all right, I, I'm going to this for this purpose and going to this for this purpose. And I pre-write my LinkedIn posts. And I pre-write my tweets and I'll right. have like 20 minutes of interaction time before bed to make sure <laughs> that I'm answering back to the tweets that come to me and that I have to right. be done. I can't right. keep going. Right. I'll tell you, I'll sit here at, at my desk and at six o'clock, I'm like, crap, I'm still sitting here at six o'clock. And I've yeah. been here since 4.35 a.m. Right. And then the next thing I know, it's eight o'clock. And I'm like, oh my God. Right. Yeah. Doing? You've got to be able to put it down. It's not good for your brain to keep doing that. Yeah. <laughs> or, study or after eyeballs. study will tell you <laughs> that it makes you sadder. It, you know, it's... Uh, you know, media consumption is a double-edged sword, like anything, right. right? There's, once you get to addiction zone, you got to put it away. Right, exactly. And with what was happening in 2020, yeah. for the most part, you know, I think you were drawn to more of that, which is, you know, as you, you know, say, more people are, you know, depressed because of all the time yeah. that they're spending on it and seeing, you know, doom scrolling is a perfect, uh, 
caption on that because right. I had, I mean, at some point, you know, I was like just snoozing people because mm-hmm. I just, I don't need to see the same post a hundred times about right. one thing. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like on Facebook, so going to an other, you know, other mediums where mm-hmm. it's not so, you know, doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I try to limit my, right. right. I limit my Facebook now to Facebook gaming to check up on the creators who I met while I was there and loved. Right. I try other than that, I'll like, I'll write posts, I'll share cute pictures of my kids. I'll do, you know, because Facebook is really what I use for like friends and family. So as soon as somebody becomes abrasive on that, if they're a high school friend of mine, I haven't seen in 20 years, gone, right? Like 86, gotta go. This is my like joy area. As soon as it's no longer joy area, it goes. Twitter, LinkedIn, that's where I'm like, I'll mute people, but I won't unfriend because, you know, if I find their political views abhorrent, but I still find them to be valuable business contacts that, you know, I'll just mute them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So talk a little bit about live streaming um, at Mob Crush. Yeah, yeah. So once I did the MCN thing for about seven years at full screen in Studio 71, I, I like, I'm somebody who likes to learn and I like to see what markets are growing. And this would have been 2000. 16 or 2017 maybe 2017 and uh mob crush uh the ceo is a guy that was the cro over at full screen back in the day we got along really well and he needed a talent guy to come in and kind of build and run the network what mob crush did is they had a really interesting technology that allowed you to concurrently stream to many platforms at once and then get the comments from all those platforms into one unified system which a lot of things do that now, but back then it was a very kind of breakthrough system. I say back then, like it wasn't four years ago, but <laughs> internet time, that's forever, right? Right, right. What, what they were doing at the time, and I still think there's little bits of what they're doing, is then building ad technology. So not only can you stream to many platforms and get comments from many platforms, but they had a way to kind of like overlay ads and do scaled branded shout outs uh, for streamers across many platforms. Uh, so went in, helped them build the product, helped them scale the network, helped them launch something called MobCam, which was the non-gamer version of that. It was all IRL streaming. Okay. So we got like the Try Guys to use it, Laura Cleary and a bunch of other stars um, through our VidCon activation. Uh, but we started scaling the network so quickly that that's when uh, I started getting known as somebody who could come in and scale streaming networks and that's when facebook came knocking on my door Ah, Uh, and even though i loved mob crush it was uh an opportunity that was too big to pass up yeah facebook's a little big (laughs) yeah so once the recruiter reached out to me and said like we're looking for somebody to run gaming creators over here we hear you're doing an awesome job there and we see your talent management background it was really you know i had to go hear them out and what i heard i liked right awesome but now let's go into space yes Let's talk about wormhole wormhole yeah. labs. Uh, first of all, great name. I love it. It Thank just you. Sa- sounds way out there, and you want to go for it. So yes, no wormhole is it's kind of so. As I mentioned before, I like kind of new technologies and kind of hockey sticking technologies. And I saw this convergence of a few things happening. One is this concept of the metaverse is starting to become more real, and what the metaverse is is people becoming avatars in a virtualized world and being able to navigate in a very human-like way to consume content and shop and chat. Uh, So instead of things being feed-based, they're actualized like more like the real world. A lot of people point to like Snow Crash or Ready Player One, if you've read the book or seen the movie. Like that's kind of the, the future theory of the metaverse. Right now, we're not quite there yet. It's more like Fortnite feels a little metaverse-y and Roblox and Minecraft, like you're an avatar that's about exploration. There's a lot of ways to change that universe. What Mob Crush had built uh, that inspired me to come over is a way of building a user-generated metaverse. So people can hold up their phone and spin around in a circle to create a capture of their environment. That cap- Those captures join together in a global mesh to recreate the world, kind of like Google Street Maps, but in real right, time. Right. Okay. And then a bunch of cool information is brought into that world, like social media posts that were taken at that location and a live video that was taken at that location. And people can chat as avatars and design their own avatar. And people can 
what we say wormhole or immediately teleport to different points all over the earth to discover different people and see what's going on in India and then see what's going on at the Super Bowl and then see what's going on at Coachella. And you can kind of navigate the world in that way. Um, very, very cool futuristic stuff that as soon as I heard about it, I said, we have to try cracking that code. And it's a very, been a very fun ride for nine months. Oh yeah. So tell me, it, it, are there privacy concerns? I mean, if you're, is you're capturing your environment, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and that's video or is it, it, does it convert it to a different, um, it converts it to more of a, um, animated type of world. So yeah. Well, the, so, so when you're taking the, what we call the smart bubble, just the environment okay. around you, that's a still, that's a, like a captured moment in time. Um, however, it comes to life with all of this interactive content and other avatars. And so if you think about it, kind of like a level in a video game, right? That's creating okay. the level, the oh, environment okay, that's okay. around you. Uh -huh. um, yes, privacy is absolutely a concern. So we won't make it easy for people to flag bubbles of private spaces they don't like. We make it easy for them to be able to take the ones, the bubbles down that are infringing on their rights. Um, it's kind of like Google Street View, right? Like we make sure that we have all the same fail safes that they have. You can take video and then drop it inside. And much like other social media, uh, people can kind of take the video that they want, but there's the ability to flag and have a takedown. Uh, okay. So privacy is really important to us. If people want to explore the metaverse, but not show up as an avatar and that we have kind of have four modes, right? We've got the super social mode, and then we've got the friends only mode, and then we've got the I'm invisible mode. You can mm -hmm. still use it without kind of being showing where you live, for example. Oh, okay. So you can, you can be visible to everyone if you want. So everyone yep. who uses the app or you can just be with your friends. Exactly, right? exactly. Right. So the way so that I would use it if I was sitting on my couch at home is not saying I'm in super social mode because then people <laughs> would be able to see I'm on my couch at home. But I can wormhole or, or kind of teleport my avatar to Berlin, for example, and then become super social there because you don't oh, see me on the couch. You right. see me in Berlin then. So, and, and you think you're a world traveler and you know, exactly. And, and then you can like meet some, I feel like it's important to, to move towards a future of a metaverse because it creates a more empathic uh, social media, right? Because you're mm -hmm. actually going to a place and seeing real people as real people. And right. that makes it a little tougher to be like, you're an idiot or screw you like it is on feed-based platforms. Right. So if you're, um, are you, you're, you talked a little bit about activations or maybe I added that into my head, but do you, are you doing activations? I, I know like Fortnite had an activation and other yeah. games like bring in a celebrity to, you know, like kind of have an event. Um, what kind of activations or, you know, things that are you bringing into wormhole? Yeah. So we're still in our beta, so we haven't done them yet. However, okay. we do have a couple of B2B contracts I can't quite talk about yet. Okay. But as you can imagine, there's a fair amount of industries that could use this technology. Right. I'm talking about like travel and real estate and retail, all the places that have a physical space that they need to bring attention to in order to drive more sales. Mm -hmm. uh, they really like the idea of pe people being able to travel an avatar in there and explore and shop and et cetera. So oh, I would love that. Yeah. I oh mean, yeah. Imagine all the people who are, you know, jonesing for some retail therapy. Yes. Like to be able yeah. to, instead of going on Amazon, we like to say we're the difference between shopping and buying on the internet. Yeah, you do a right. lot of buying, buying right? right? Like I need right. to get this thing and I'm going to search it and buy it. Whereas if you're in something like wormhole and you can walk around a forever 21 and uh -huh. you can tap on end caps and then buy those items, our precision is very good. So if you say tag a item and then drop a animated 3d icon onto it, so you can tap and go directly to the website for it, it can get very precise. Wow. So being able to like kind of walk around and shop like you're actually there is a big deal. Yeah. Um, so that's part of our activations, which when we move towards our global launch, which is coming pretty soon, uh, <laughs> you're going to see a lot of those. And then on the influencer side, just because it's my bread and butter, uh, imagine the people who do like shoe drops or clothing drops and people are waiting in lines outside of stores. Well, now you can have that kind of physical representation of people waiting in line, but also people can wormhole their avatar in and kind of like wait in line virtually as well. Right. So they can do a thousand sales there. They can do another 10,000 that are limited time only through kind of this virtual line. And then everyone right. can talk to each other and hang out and build community. Wow, That's awesome. I like yeah. that. Yeah, that's very cool. Because I know um, 
back when I uh, I launched Mom TV, um, mm -hmm. which was a live streaming network, we had ninety programmed shows a week. Wow, that's great! From Moms on Prozac, mm -hmm. literally. I mean, that was the name of a show. Yeah. To Moms of Multiples, etc. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that um, we were trying to work on was whenever a mom, let's say. She, she was talking because we had all the top mommy bloggers doing shows. Cool. Love it. So they brought their audience with us, with yeah. them um, whenever they did that. But people wanted to, you know, uh, sponsor or have a product that they could sell and, you know, click on the screen and be taken. And that was, you know, 2009. I mean, yeah. we're still trying to get that right. So mm -hmm. I, I'm excited about that because it's, it's a it's a uh, a problem that hasn't really been solved, um, and it's crazy that it hasn't been solved. You know, yeah. in, in a creative way. And this sounds like amazing. I would, you know, I would be shopping all day, <laughs> so I wouldn't be I on Facebook. I would right. Just be and that's part of it is like, how do you make shopping fun again? How do you make social media fun again? I wake up every right. day inspired by thinking those thoughts, right? Like right. oftentimes when you're on something like Facebook or Twitter, you start, you lose the fun very quickly because you don't feel like it's participatory media, right? right? It feels like you're just kind of watching things go on that creates FOMO. There's no outlet for it. Depression rates go up, you know, the funnel. Right. Whereas if you're doing something like wormhole where you can not only travel somewhere, but participate, read social media posts, then chat with the people as avatars, et cetera. Like you can shop by walking down the Champs-Élysées and seeing a small shop and then being able to tap into it and buy things. Like that's what really excites me. Um, right. So the, a lot of the activations are going to be a little less feeling like commercials because we live in a commercial world and this is right. a live representation of the world. So right. you can kind of have the optionality to jump into a store if you want and to do very kind of light touch brand stuff if you don't want, right? Mm -hmm. Nice. So I'm, um, I'm a user and I enjoy it and I'm, you know, doing, you know, shopping and visiting and being super social. How are you picking influencers or how can somebody participate on a different level than just be the user experiencing the immersive um, creation you have. Yeah. So we've got some great influencers lined up for the global launch, which is again, coming soon. Uh, <laughs> we've got the, all the plans in place. The product is done. Now we're just kind of ramping up with strategy to make sure right place, right time. Right. Um, and yeah, it's been kind of proactive outreach right now because nobody knows about our platform, right? We're kind right. of a little stealthy. Uh, but as we move forward, I think we're going to develop our own stars. And what I mean by that is on all other social platforms, there's kind of two ways to be discovered. Either somebody searching and finds you or somebody kind of shares content and that's how they find you, right? Like, mm -hmm. or I guess number three is the algorithm just kind of surfaces you, but mm -hmm. that's kind of part and parcel to sharing. Right. In Wormhole, you can kind of get attention by the space and time you are in right so like if you're somebody who goes to the eiffel tower there's a lot of people who naturally within wormhole will go to the eiffel tower just because mm -hmm. it's a place they want to visit right. so you're kind of more of a space and time influencer those people will grow very quickly uh and then they're going to kind of become the advocates for community management oh. and activations around those places so it'll be really interesting i think you'll see more people on wormhole, you know, going every day to the Santa Monica pier or something mm -hmm. people really know. And that's going to be their job because they're just really great at going there and community managing and pushing sales. Nice. Um, and how about for monetization? Granted, you're going to have people, you know, um, brands pay you for contracts. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, how are the influencers are there under the same different contract to get paid for their work? Um, yeah. Okay. So there's a, there's a few ways that monetization will happen on this platform and it'll sound like a lot of disparate things, but it all comes together into one beautiful unified uh, okay. thing. So one is because everybody is represented as avatars, avatar skins and clothing items and stuff is uh, that's like the obvious monetization that everything that's sure. avatar based does. Okay. Um, so that's a part of it. Two is the, we're able to participate in revenue shares uh, on the, shoppable links that are in the world mm, right okay. now we're doing it through affiliates but we're just doing that to kind of aggregate data around it so that we can figure out how we're going to launch larger to okay. brands 
um, and to see if there's programmatic ways where mom and pop shops can play along too that don't have the affiliate things. Sure. Um, so that'll be a big part of it. Uh, shoppable live video is very buzzy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, naturally, it's, you know, when you look at the e-commerce being what a $3 trillion global business every year, right. um, the ability to drive, to combine content and commerce is a very big deal. So we've built in a product where you can overlay a shoppable link on video mm-hmm. um, and then that can drive sales. So that'll be a big part of the monetization wow. mix. Okay. And then number four is our API and SDK. So if you think about wormhole, it's kind of built out in layers. You've got the globe layer. Then on top of that, you got the avatar layer and you've got the social media layer. It's just kind of like this strata of layers. <laughs> so the ability to build a layer, like say real estate, where people can toggle on that layer and toggle on everything off and see every home that's for sale. Uh, that would be very valuable to someone like a Remax or a Berkshire Hathaway or, right. you know, Keller Williams or, or name it. Um, so we're working with a lot of those businesses to build out those layers. And then it would either be a license or a revenue split for those. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's awesome. Very yeah. cool. Now, what are, I'm, I'm looking into the future because you've, you know, this is out there, but it's here. Yeah. Um, what do you see as um, wormhole evolving into? Yeah. Um, global domination? Kind of, yeah. I mean, the, the part of making a new technology category, like there's really nobody competing in this exact space. There's metaverses, but they're all in fictional worlds. There's right. social media that's for the real world, but they're not a metaverse. We're kind right. of the first ones to launch and heavily patent. We've got 10 very broad patents on this technology. So uh, we're going to go out very, very big. Uh, uh-huh. Where it's going to evolve to, since we built it in Unity, which is a really great kind of three-dimensional platform, even though we're launching on smartphones just because there's 3.5 billion of them in the world and they're very right. efficient creator creation engines, right. it's nimble enough that VR, AR devices, it's a very light reskin in order to do that. Internet of things, drones that capture content and location can start putting that imagery in. Like this is, it's a nimble enough platform that it can wow. kind of expand there. So wh- what I see is, I see us hitting mass scale on smartphones uh, for the next few years. And then if a device were to rise to take the place of smartphones, like maybe someone nails AR glasses, I'm not hopeful that'll happen in the next three years, but I think it will happen within the next 10. We're Uh going to be ready to be the number one social network on those as well. I can just see that in my mind's eye and that would be so amazing. Yeah, we always laugh about it being like Terminator vision. Like who's going to develop the thing where I can have the glasses on and look around and say, oh, that's somebody who I'm friends with or that's somebody I have mutual friends with. And to be able to kind of like do a a kind of hand motion to chat with them. And then we're saying, hey, we're sharing friends. And then if I'm in a place like Coachella and I go alone and I don't know anyone, I can immediately make friends based on our connections. Nothing does that yet. And we're going to be the thing that goes and does that. Wow, that is so exciting. I can I can see it in your face how like <laughs> you're like I have all the candy. I do have I feel very blessed. Yes, and I do feel like I have all the candy. This feels like an <laughs> inevitable part of the future and we're running at it really hard. So it's been very exciting. So how do you see this folding into entertainment as a whole like television, movies? Yeah. Right, you have planned for that? I think this concept of layers is going to play very well into that. So uh, a lot of people say, oh, you're like Pokemon Go. And we say, well, no, because we're more social and less of a game. We're not like Pokemon Go, but the next Pokemon Go could be built as a layer within Wormhole. So Mm -hmm. someone could toggle on like, like if Pokemon Go, you know, there's a game called Monster Hunter that's kind of like a little right. bit more of an adult Pokemon Go. If Monster Hunter wants to come in and do a layer in Wormhole where you're going out and capturing monsters, you just kind of toggle that, everything else goes away, and now you're monster hunting. Um, I believe that that's a way that kind of bigger IP can play along, right? So I see it in uh, kind of this layer strategy where anyone can build anything like Lego comes in and I want the whole world to be recognized as Legos. Well, let's build that skin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As bricks, let's have that overlay everything in the world and then you can go into Lego world. So that'd be fun. But also this idea of tying content to space and time and having that become why it's important. 
I think is going to be a big part of our future of media consumption. So I'm not just watching red carpet footage, but I'm wormholing into the red carpet. I'm seeing streams from everybody that's there. So I can see the entertainment tonight producer and then I can go see the NBC or the E1 or et cetera. And then I can actually go into the theater and see the chatter and the social media posts from the actual stars. Uh, I think it's going to be a more immersive environment for that as well. So brands that want to play along with that and entertainment brands, I think are going to be onto something that's really cutting edge. Um, I interviewed uh, Jenny Powell, you know, Oh, cool. Yeah. I love Jenny. um, Yesterday and immersive technology is like her, her big uh, trending, um, you know, love, if you will. So she's, she's absolutely uh, another person that's validating the, you know, what you have to look for in the future. Well, it's funny when you want to look towards what's going to be the next big thing. I always say like there's whispers before screams. And if you listen hard enough, you can hear the whispers. And I'm seeing what's growing is Clubhouse is a smash hit right Right. now, which shows that people want to have kind of dark social communities where people can come in and congregate around a certain topic. Right. I'm seeing things like discord really grow, which is like, how do I find my own space for my own passions? And then I'm seeing things like citizen really grow. And like what snap has said, like snap has come out and said, snap, snap maps is a big part of our future. A lot of people go snap maps. That kind of failed, didn't it? Well, there's a reason why they're doing that. It's because there's this location-based content ideas really starting to catch. right? Right. And then of course, AR and VR, you hear the whispers of that you know, everyone's running in that direction. So if you combine all those three, three things together, it starts to look a whole lot like wormhole, right? So we're hearing the whispers now. And when the screams start, (laughs) then we're going to be well positioned to be that the one that answers. That's awesome. That, that I, I love that. I worked in Silicon Valley for eight years in startups. So, uh, and before the bubble burst in 2001. So I'm just a little bit ahead of you on that, uh, getting stuck there sure but um i love i you know love technology uh, both of us um part of the uh, um television academy interactive media group with all the nerds so you bet we, i love you know. it i love our little nerd our little nerd crew. i haven't been able to i mean because of covid but even before that i was so entrenched especially at facebook where i just didn't have time to communicate with them but mm-hmm. i love that i can now jump onto the zooms that they do right it's right. really cool yeah yeah and having the conversations about what's next i mean because we're all kind of looking at you know where are we going and what's the direction and where should we be looking and you're right whispers and looking at just the little things and and then evaluating for yourself is what what do i think about this technology where do i see it going right just just hearing you know the basis of what you guys have built and then the possibilities is really it's exciting because now I kind of feel like um, we're seeing those sci-fi movies that we saw in the nineties and early two thousands, you know, all the futuristic stuff. It's now, you know, even that much closer for us. Oh yeah. And I'm frankly, I think that there's still a lot of room for 23 year olds to become billionaires right now by asking themselves (laughs) a very simple question, like what's difficult or inaccessible right now. And how do you make it less difficult using mobile technologies or advanced technologies, Like Robinhood's a perfect example. Right. Stock market's confusing. I don't know how to play along. That's kept a lot of kids out of it. Like, and then you just look at the things like Ameritrade and they're all made for 40 or 50 year olds. Like right. if you're a 23 year old person, how do I play along with the stock market? Well, Robinhood made it feel a whole heck of a lot like a mobile game, right? Yeah. That's how <laughs> you do it. And like Carvana with car buying. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about every industry that way, like I'll just throw one out that I haven't thought about, but let's brainstorm on it. Like real estate, right? It feels pretty expensive to get a real estate agent. It feels like it's expensive so that you can go kind of fill out the contracts and go do the home tours. But shouldn't there be a way where you kind of do that yourself or have it be more peer to peer? Like whoever cracks that market and makes like the Airbnb for real estate, even commercial real estate. And so you're keeping that 3% to 5% instead. That's right. a many billion dollar industry and nobody's done it yet. So right. if anybody out there has a computer science degree <laughs> or a business degree, they can, that's, those are the kind of lanes you can run in. Here's where you send the check. For my exactly. <laughs> I can throw out 50 of those ideas today that I guarantee will be built in the next 10 years. And it's not going to be me. So. Right. Well, you're, you're have your hands full, I think yeah. with uh, what you're doing there. That's oh, yeah. uh, super, super awesome. 
So um, anything else coming up that we should watch for? Like the date whenever you're making the announcement? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you're going to hear more in the next 30, 60, 90 days, okay. probably, um, which will be very exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when we're going to kind of start teasing, trickling to press announcements, which will be cool. Because okay. we have the whole timeline. We're just not allowed to release it. No, I'm uh, just teasing you. I'm just trying to do that hard-hitting uh, news reporting. Oh, yeah, totally. Tell me the date. Tell me it now. Yeah, but I mean, there's I mean, there's so much exciting stuff going on in social right now. This is going to be a very big year for live again, as last year was. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be a really big year for kind of startups, especially fintech. I think this GameStop thing that's going on right now is releasing a genie from the bottle that's not going to go back in. It's going to, if Coinbase does their direct public offering, buy quickly, it would be my advice. Okay. Um, Robinhood's brand might have been hurt a little bit by all the stuff that's come out, but look at the other ones that are doing the same thing Robinhood is. And if they do mm -hmm. uh, IPOs or DPOs, I would buy into those quickly because that's a big part of the future. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a lot of stuff when it comes to uh, how brands play with creators in new and interesting ways. I think gone are the days where we're just buying them for shout outs. I think there's going to be a lot more kind of co-branded merchandise and Logan Paul boxing matches. And like, these are going to be the kind of, I think Mr. Beast again, released a genie from a bottle you can't put back in, which is how do you not just make a branded video and hope it goes viral, but how do you generate virality because you're making something that's, that's unmistakably loud. Uh, so yeah, it's just this year in social media is just going to be fantastic. And I think, uh, uh more innovation too because we're not yeah. we're still home again right we're not yeah. you know covid covid change you know covid was a pain but it also changed the course of a lot of oh yeah of commerce right you know oh yeah and they said that it uh, what mckinsey said that it accelerated e-commerce by five years uh internal projections for live video that i was able to see from other companies it's accelerated by three or four years like right. you a lot of people were like my parents for the first time ever learned how to use Grubhub and house party and Instacart. And I'm right. sure a lot of people's parents, it was their first time learning these things. And now that they've seen that it's convenient and not scary. They're now over that technology gap and they're going to start using it for the long term. So I hate new normal because everyone says new normal, but there's kind of a new normal. So what do you, you know, it's, it's accelerated everything, which is really fun. Well, what's worse is hearing people say, well, when COVID's over and we can go back to normal, I'm like, yeah, no. Yeah, this is the normal now. Like right. Instacart is a big deal now and people right. have to like figure that out and play along or, you know, like it's right. it's just so convenient. There's so many conveniences that have always been there, but now this forced us to enjoy these conveniences. Right. And, and it's forcing companies to pivot and actually, you know, look at what is happening in the world and make yeah. decisions to either survive or, you know, thrive or, you know, goodbye. Right? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Just, just a, a wake up call, but. Oh yeah. I've, I've been shocked to see how many companies that were entrenched in old ways of doing things that jumped on. Like now you can go to Ralph's has direct delivery now, right? <laughs> like there's, there's all these companies that were like, well, people just kept going to our, our mega grocery stores forever. And that's that. And it's right. like, they, they've been forced into the 21st century. So mm -hmm. good for them. Well, I'll tell you here in Albuquerque, um, whenever the pandemic and we had shutdowns and everything, the lines at certain stores, you know, like a Costco or a big, you know, yeah. um, Sam's Club, those kind of stores, they would be around the, the building. And I'm yeah. like, oh, you know, and slowly you're seeing more people start using delivery service. And those yeah. lines got a lot less. In fact, the target down the road from us um, right before Christmas, there was nobody in line. And I'm like, how can right. that be? Because pri it was prior to that, they had lines and lines and then they had blocked off a whole section, not three spaces, yeah. like 25 spaces for people picking up. Oh yeah. Well, the, the most brilliant thing that's happened during COVID in terms of big companies playing along is the speed by which Walmart started putting out their curbside pickup messaging. Right. Like the second COVID started, immediately they were running all these splashy ads that were like curbside pickup, order from your phone, and then we'll bring it right out to you. Just open your trunk. And, and I'm like, right. man, their they team deserves a it. huge pat yeah. on the back because they nailed it like in April. Right. 
Yeah, and so many didn't. I mean, yeah. they just, they were, oh, it's going to get better because it's getting warmer. And I'm like, it's not getting better. Yeah, evolve or die. That's the world we live in. And like, they they evolved. And a lot of places, I mean, it sucks because the mom and pops don't have that option. Right. But also there was a lot of innovative companies that came up to like save mom and pops. Like there's a website called Bookshop that lets you shop local bookstores. And it's done a wonderful job during the pandemic of connecting people to local bookstores to keep them alive or the power of the crowd, right? AMC is now saved. It was right. on the verge of bankruptcy. And then a Reddit thread popped up. It's like AMC, we want movie theaters to survive. And we also want to screw Wall Street and we can <laughs> achieve both by buying up all this stuff. Now, whether or not that was legal, I'll leave that to lawyers to decide. Right. But it saved, AM you have to admit it saved right. AMC. They're not going under now, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that whole, the whole stock market thing is I'm still watching to see what they, what the justice department decides yeah. on that. Cause it's hard um, to like, can you really sue the crowd? That's the tough thing right, is like, if enough right. people do something like is Reddit to blame, I don't think so. No, but because when of people, the... Right. When people want to support a business, they buy stock. Like yep. I buy Apple or I buy, you know, Adobe or whatever you're buying, you know, stock because you want to participate in that, you know, right. business success. So why would it be a problem? And Jim Cramer has been going on TV for 20 years saying this stock's hot, this stock's not. Right, exactly. Like, this Yell is just this you. with the power of the crowd. Like, I mean, it's, it's, right. I think it's shown what a fuzzy line it is between like uh, price fixing and mm -hmm. just people giving recommendations. Cause everyone's like this is the, the, it's exposed the deep, dark secret of wall street, which is because of the volume of cash they're playing with, they're all price fixing, right? Like, right. Well, look so, at the, the show billions, right? Right. A hundred percent. So like, what's the difference between somebody with billions of dollars price fixing by pumping right. and dumping and, and the power of the crowd, putting billions of dollars in it and price fixing, but it happens to be 2 million people doing it instead of 1 billionaire. Like right. it's a very, very tricky line. And I'm fascinated to see what the justice department does with this. Yeah, me too. We'll definitely be watching. And I'm going to be watching for more about wormhole labs. Gosh, I can't even say it now. So excited. <laughs> that yeah. is, that just blows my mind. And I, I saw your little teaser video um, and I can't wait to see more. Absolutely. Well, I'll send you over a beta as soon as I'm able to, so you can play. It'll be a pardon our dust beta, but it'll be okay. fun. Oh, no, that'll be awesome. I love that. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us today, Phil. We look forward to it and we'll uh, be sharing more info about Wormhole Labs as we get it from you. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks Appreciate for having it. me. All right. Take care and stay you too. safe.